You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, Bittysodes, the little bits of history that don't quite fit in anywhere else. With me your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. That's right, the Betty Swords are back. Who Did What Now is now part of the Airwave Media Network, and while things were switching over and moving, you know, I had to take a bit of time to get stuff sorted, but now we are back in full swing, and we are ready to go. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the last episode of Lady Jane Grey, The Nine Days Queen, was episode 49. That means... Coming Tuesday, I have a very special 50th episode. And if any of you have followed me on TikTok, you'll know I have a series called Human Trash. And so I am going to bring you a jam-packed, what, just one person, it is just about one person, but a full-on Human Trash episode. I don't think I've done one since. I think... Mother Teresa, I think, was the last Human Trash episode I did, which is a while back, actually. No, I'm wrong. Elvis. Elvis was the last Human Trash episode I did. That's right. But this one is worse. Worse than Mother Teresa. Worse than Elvis. You're fucking right he is. It's a man. It's a white man. It's an old white man. Pale, stale male. The trifecta of douchebaggery. Absolute fucking trash and it'll be coming to you on tuesday and i'm actually really excited about this one it is so much fucking research though and i've had to whittle a few things down but i think you're gonna like it i think it's gonna work but i digress today's bitchy sode is brought to you by people demanding more information on tiktok and i thought Fuck it, I'll just do a bitty sword about it, because honestly, three minutes isn't long enough to talk about this. It just isn't. I'm going to quit my jibber-jabber and fact you and tell you all about Anthrax Island. Our story starts in the middle of World War II. You've got the Allies versus the Axis. Things are not going well. The Nazis are 
I mean, I don't want to be falling into stereotypes here, but um, A, pretty evil, and B, incredibly efficient. So they are doing quite well. They are, for lack of a better word, winning the war. And obviously, in general, you know, anyone with a sort of moral compass doesn't think that's a good way for things to be. You know. So, Britain is absolutely terrified that the Nazis are going to do it to them. Well, with what they did to most of mainland Europe. Like, they're taking over, like, all over the show. They, you know, they're in Poland, they're in Czechoslovakia, Austria and France. They're just fucking taking over the whole show. They've got allies in Italy. It's just, it's a fucking shit show at this point. And Britain is like, fucking no. Don't want that. Um, partially because they're so used to being the ruling elite. And also because Winston Churchill can't stand anything that isn't British. In fairness, if there wasn't sort of a chance that Britain would have been attacked or taken over, Churchill wouldn't have given a fuck about whatever the Nazis were doing. Anyway, Britain's not doing too well in the war. And they really want to get an upper hand. And Winston Churchill is thinking, why don't we use biological weapons? So you know how they say that every civilization is like three meals away from revolt? Because if you starve people, they will fuck your shit up. You know what I mean? Nothing else is irrelevant if there isn't food in their belly. Now, because of this... Churchill wanted to find a way to starve out the enemy. So he has a wee chat with his chief of staff and he comes up with Operation Vegetarian. Churchill, as we know, is a super big fan of chemical weapons, biological weapons, germ warfare, basically anything that can be used to annihilate a large group of people as quickly and efficiently as possible. He's super into that. So naturally, he wants to know if it's possible to contaminate the German countryside with so much anthrax that mass numbers of livestock and people would be instantly killed. Just, uh, floating the idea. Because apparently massacring innocent civilians is fine, I guess? But yeah... Their great plan was to drop anthrax-laced cattle cakes to destroy the German food source. But, like, here's the thing. They should know better than anybody, because they did it, is that when a country is starving, when the ordinary people are, you know, lacking provisions, food always somehow manages to get to the army. Like... They're not going to starve. They're going to feed the elite and they're going to feed the basic people they need to use, whether as fodder or whatever. So the British government were well fucking aware that it was going to be civilians who suffered. Men, women, children, ordinary people. I'm not saying that they had the correct ideology or anything, but like to indiscriminately kill that many people really feels like it's more about asserting your dominance than it is about protecting your country. That being said, 
They still had to know how efficient it was going to be if it was going to work. So naturally, before they implement this plan, they have to fucking test it. Enter Grinyard Island off the coast of Scotland. Now, they chose this island because it was remote and uninhabited. Because apparently, none of the other 23 uninhabited English islands were good enough. Because apparently a remote English island that's uninhabited is absolutely no use. It had to be a Scottish one, specifically, for reasons. Of course, the government were fair because they did purchase the island for £500 off of the owners and promised them that them or their family would be able to purchase it back for the exact same price once they were done. The Churchill gets Paul Fields to set up a team and head out to Grinyard. The biological scientists, a fuck ton of sheep and a cameraman headed to Grinyard Island. Now the scientists decided to stay on the island while they conducted their tests because for them it made the most sense. They did have like protective gear and clothing and rubber gloves and all that. But I mean there was no guarantee that they would be safe. But for them this was about patriotism, this was about protecting Britain. For the powers that be, however, anyway, they brought a cameraman so that they could record their experiments and be able to have like visual proof of it. And that video, that film, still exists today. It was declassified, I think it's in the Imperial War Museum now, but you can like watch it on YouTube. It's called X Base. Grinyard Trials, 1941-42. to 42. Now, we're not actually sure how many sheep were involved in this. We know at least 80, but there could have been more. So anyway, these sheep, they are shipped to Grinyard Island, and then they are herded into these little fucking crates. So what they do as well is they put these wee jackets on them, not because they're worried they're going to be cold or shit like that, but they wanted to make sure that the anthrax was inhaled and it wasn't like on their fleecy woolly coats. So the sheep, they're in these wee crates, they get the wee jackets on and they are tethered together and sort of tied down. So I mean they're standing but they're fixed to a spot. But not only that, their heads are also fixed so that, well basically it's to ensure that they're gonna inhale the anthrax like it's I mean as experiments go if you want to test if an animal is going to naturally inhale this thing putting them in a fixed position doesn't exactly give a natural response the thing about anthrax is as well is that there is different strains like some of it is more sort of potent or virulent and others are not so much Naturally, they chose a particularly strong one, Volume 14578, which had performed very well um, in the labs, and they thought, this will be a great one. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how the fuck were they planning to actually distribute this incredibly potent strain of this very dangerous germ? Well, by mortar. That's right, you fucking heard me. Mortar. Poof! 
an anthrax bomb they made an anthrax bomb so once they had all their ducks in a row the sheep were all tethered in the equipment was set up the cylinders of anthrax were in the right position and of course they had the camera set up to witness it all it was time to fire the mortar and so they did and within seconds this toxic cloud just bellows up and well luckily the wind was on their side and moved towards the completely oblivious sheep so these scientists they have basically smothered these sheep in a blanket of anthrax right and to their absolute fucking surprise nothing happens day one sheep are just you know Chewing away, completely undeterred by what's happened. Day two, still the same. They're just fine. On the third day, however, the sheep start dying. And they start dying very fucking quickly. So the sheep would just be going about their daily business, as if they had business. But you know what I mean? They were just like chewing on grass and doing whatever fucking shit sheep do. And they just would suddenly just die as if they'd been like paralyzed but they all just kind of kept doing it so within like a few hours of the first sheep dying the majority of the flock was dead and it was only a couple hours after that that every single sheep on the island had died as a result of the anthrax bomb well i say that but the majority of the reports and information that i've i've read on this say that every single sheep died it was a result of the anthrax poisoning but there was a couple of sources that stated that the sheep on the far end of the field like the ones that were further away and had like less exposure they survived the sort of initial experiment but then were later killed by the the scientists anyway speaking of the scientists they realised fairly quickly, being scientists and all, that they could not control nor contain the anthrax bomb, not really. So over the course of a year, they tested 22 anthrax bombs, releasing 300,000 million spores into the air. I don't know about you, but to me that seems a tad excessive. Of course, of course. They have to report back to the big man himself, Winston Churchill, and they inform him that a mass detonation of anthrax would cause, fuck, death on an unprecedented scale. They're like, we don't know how much death this could bring, but annihilation seems to be the idea, like mass, abundant, undeniable death. Because, here's the thing, if you detonate an anthrax bomb in Germany, depending on where you're actually detonating it, it could affect France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, Poland, Czechoslovakia, so on and so forth. Like, imagine post-war Britain being like, yay, we saved you, and like, oh, half of Europe just being like, yeah, you saved us from those guys, but you also, you know, 
killed the majority of our populations by infecting our food source. I mean, of course, this is the same country that tried to hold a river hostage, but that's another story for another day. So yes, not only were the scientists worried about the fact they couldn't, you know, contain the anthrax, they were also worried about decontamination. So basically, once the spores had settled on the island, they were effectively impossible to remove. Like, they couldn't get rid of them. So, like, their clothes and a bunch of shit had to get burnt, and they couldn't get it out of the soil. And then, they obviously had to get rid of all of the fucking dead sheep. So, under Churchill's orders, the whole process was put on hold, and they were told to effectively cover up the shit they did. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. So they take all of the sheep carcasses and they move them into this cave on the island. You know, they're thinking they'll put them in the cave and then they'll blow up the cave and they'll bury the sheep and they'll just, like, not mention it again. Just kind of be like, "Mm mm-hmm, put up a wee no trespassing sign on the island, be like, private island, stay out, and it'll be fine, right? That's their big plan. So they they overestimated how much um, explosives to use when it came to this cave. So... They put everything in, they get it all up, they fucking detonate it. And sheep carcasses fly into the air. So they shoot up and off the island and into the fucking sea. They later, like, tried to blame a storm for this. They were like, oh... It was a storm that blew the sheep's body away when it was, it wasn't, it was because they, they blew it up, right? So this sheep and other sheep parts, like it wasn't just one sheep, so it ends up on the shore of Scotland, right? Mainland Scotland. And what was it? I think a, a dog took a bite of it and he ends up infecting like a bunch of other farm animals, so... I think 60 animals were killed as a direct sort of line from that, including like horses, sheep, dogs, etc. See, this is a rural area and the thing about rural areas is that news travels fast. You'd be surprised how much information you get about the area when it is so remote. Probably because there's nothing else to talk about, but that's neither here nor there. For the record, I live in the middle of nowhere, so I understand. But yeah, word gets around and so, naturally, the government comes in and they order a secret cull of this farmer's sheep. And the farmer gets very well compensated for it because, you know, culling an entire flock is is not good, not at all, and he would need to be reimbursed for that especially considering he could go on to contaminate more and it could do more damage. 
So they basically wanted to try and nip it in the bud. And, like, people in the area thought this was really fucking weird because it's not often that you put in a complaint about something happening on your farm and then you get paid straight away. Like, the government was so fast to pay this fucking farmer that all the locals were like, what? What the actual fuck is going on here? And because the government was trying to keep it all hush-hush, they blamed, like, diseases and this weird animal death on the careless disposal of animal carcasses from a Greek ship. So, like, yeah, it was the Greeks who did it, it wasn't us, but, you know, we'll still pay you anyway. The whole anthrax bomb thing, again, the project's on hold, up until 1944, when things are getting pretty tense. And... Churchill's like, fuck it, I'm going to order some bombs. And he does. He does order some bombs. He orders an initial stockpile of 500,000 anthrax bombs. And he's like, oh, well, I'm only going to use them if I have to use them, if, like, Germany attacks us first, and then I will, you know, pummel them with complete death. Absolute death and utter destruction. Like, he overstresses the point where it's like, if they do it to us, I'll do it to them. When we all know, nah, you'd fucking do it anyway, mate. You know you would. Because that's who you are, you absolute shitbag. So, he is in this big meeting with, you know, military advisors. And again, he's approved, like, the 500,000. And then... The Inter-Service Subcommittee on Biological Warfare. They were like, yeah, this number isn't quite enough, we don't think. And so they're like, we need more. And how much more? Eight times. They wanted eight times as many anthrax bombs. In case you can't math, that is four million. Four million anthrax bombs. Now, Excessive comes to mind. Bit much. Just a tad. So, like, initially, Operation Vegetarian, the whole plan was to hit, like, the countryside, where the, you know, the livestock and the crops were. But this started to seep in and be more focused on, sort of, bigger cities with higher populations. Not military bases or government headquarters specifically, no. Just places with a high volume of ordinary people. So because they wanted so many extra mega more bombs, they were going to take a wee bit of time. So it wasn't until 1945 that they were going to be able to, like, make them. And by the time the first bombs were ready... This secret report gets sent to the Cabinet Defence Committee, basically saying that they are trialling even deadlier anthrax weapons. Which which had the potential to reduce Germany to an uninhabitable wasteland. But this time they didn't test it on sheep. They tested it on monkeys. The results of these tests showing that they would be able to completely massacre half the population of Stuttgart with one decent airstrike. But anthrax basically fell out of favour with the rise of the atom bomb. 
but like Grinyard Island is contaminated as fuck and they're like how do we get rid of it and one of the great ideas they have is setting the heather on fire like imagine being on the mainland and looking over and an entire island is on fire like I mean it's not the most inconspicuous of ideas like oh we don't want anybody to know anything is happening here you know what we'll do? Massive flames and a plume of smoke. Like, n- no, that's that's not gonna draw anybody's attention to it whatsoever. After realizing they cannot clean or burn it away, they're like, we'll just leave and test it every couple of years. So that's what they do. Uh, they leave and they test it and they leave and they test it and it just keeps showing up. Yep, still anthrax here. Like, it wasn't until about 24 years after the experiment that that the warning danger, whatever signs on the island, even mentioned anthrax. And for fucking decades, nobody kind of went near the island anyway. There was sort of a, a dark mystery about it and people just didn't fucking go near it. They're like, dodgy shit there, spooky, creepy, fucking not. Now, but like, they were testing it in the 70s. And there was still anthrax there, obviously. But they didn't do anything about it. Like, they didn't do anything until the 80s, and that's only because of the Dark Harvest Commandos. Which, let's face it, is a pretty badass name. So the Dark Harvest Commandos, under cover of darkness, sailed across the bay, snuck onto the island, collected the contaminated soil, and then returned back. And on one day, in 1981, a letter is sent to the Glasgow Herald newspaper, which reads, By the time you read this, the campaign will have started in earnest. The first delivery will have been made, and we're better to send the seeds of death than to the place from whence they came. So basically, they were sent to Porton Down, which is a biological research centre in Wiltshire. It is the top secret ministry of defence lab. So they search the facility, like top to bottom, they are looking all through it, obviously. And what do they find? Absolutely nothing. We will later, they do a second search and they find a bucket of soil, which they test. And after doing a wee test and using, you know, basic reasoning, they come to the conclusion that this soil is from Grignard Island and this soil is contaminated with anthrax. See, the reason the soil was sent to Porton Down is not just because it was like a government lab, but because the scientists who had worked on Grignard Island, that's where they returned to. That was their general base of operations. But anyway, the scientists in this lab at this point They test the soil, and not only are they aware that it's anthrax, but they're like, wow, it is surprisingly resilient. No fucking shit. There's anthrax that's been around since, what, the fucking medieval era? Yeah, it survives. But the Black Harvest Commandos were not done. So four days after leaving the bucket of soil at Porton Down, the Conservative Party conference in Blackpool was their next target. A wee tin box containing soil was left at Blackpool Tower and, like, everyone was convinced this had the anthrax soil in it. It didn't, by the way. It just had soil. 
but like at this point everyone's on high fucking alert. The government launches an investigation to try and figure out who the fuck these Dark Harvest Commandos are. And they're met with this fucking wall of silence. So they're investigating like the local area and nobody has anything to say. And there's like a bunch of theories as to who these guys are. Some think it's sort of locals from the area who are just sick of shit happening to them. Others think it's like anti-nuclear activists and stuff like that. But there's also this theory that the Dark Harvest Commandos are actually some of the scientists or connected to the scientists who did the experiments on the island initially. And that this is some sort of weird repentance situation. In December 1981, the Dark Harvest, they pinned this letter to the door of the UK government Scottish office HQ in Edinburgh. And the letter, it's not like any threats or anything in it. It just says that the group just wanted to highlight the fucking shit that happened in Grinyard and they want it fixed, basically. And they say they're done for now. And that's the thing, they are done. But like, it's not till five years later, 1986, that any sort of cleanup happens. And there is a massive fucking cleanup. They are spraying it with seawater and formaldehyde, going through this whole decontamination situation. And by 1990, it is declared that it's fucking fine. It's all good to go. Anthrax free. Two thumbs up. Now, now the island is, you know, no longer a danger to, well, everybody, it means it can be sold back to, you know, the rightful owners. So word gets out that this island is available for £500, because, like, the deal was, we paid £500 for it, you pay £500 back. So, like, all these people try and buy it, but, like, descendants of the original owners, they end up buying it. Not to, like, live on or anything, but I think just to own it, because, fuck it, why not? And now, the island is uninhabited apart from a couple of sheep and some rabbits. You know, they're just chilling out, having a good time, living their best lives, not being contaminated with anthrax or blown up. Which is nice, you know. Enjoy yourselves. Now, about those anthrax bombs. So they had produced over 5 million little anthrax cattle cake things, right? And after World War II, not long after, they realised, you know, we can't hold on to these because this is really fucking dangerous. And they had to be destroyed in an incinerator. So they had to, like, burn them the fuck up and hope for the best. And that's what they did. So, yeah, Winston Churchill slaughtered sheep, released a deadly bacteria and made a Scottish island completely uninhabitable for 50 years. For absolutely no reason. Super. Wonderful. Yeah, zero out of ten would not recommend. And so ends the story of Anthrax Island. If you liked today's story, don't forget to rate and review five stars. You can follow me on all of the social medias. Um, links in the description down below. And also, maybe, if you wouldn't mind voting for me in the Irish Podcast Awards, the listener vote... Listen, I know it's bothersome and it takes up like three and a half minutes, but I would really fucking appreciate it because there's a listener vote 
And so if you go into the link and type in who did what now and click on me, and then you've got to fill in your email address. And they'll send you an email, which you then click on to basically do your vote. Because it's one vote per email address, and it's to make sure that you're not like creating spam emails to just fake emails to just kind of, you know, fake a vote. So if you do like me and you want to like do that, that would be super fun and I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And with that, I shall bid you good night. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir to Zen, my friends. Bye bye. Who did what now? Brought to you by Airwave Media Network. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.